Hey, this is Jeremy Reisner, pastor of C2 Church. Thanks so much for joining us on the C2 Church podcast today. I hope it inspires and builds your faith and helps you see that God is up to something in your life. Enjoy the message. The theme verse for this whole study time is uh, 1 Timothy 4. And it says this, verses 4 through 10. It says, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present and the life to come. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. You know, so we have exhibited up here forms of physical training. Uh, I'm allergic to uh, most of what's sitting right here. So I stay as far away as possible. So the word says the physical training, good thing. But godly training, better. And so today, understanding what leadership is about, gospel-centered leadership. So the gospel For those of you who know the verse, John 3.16, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, that probably came out more King James Version than anything else because that's when I memorized it back in, you know, right after he wrote it back in uh, 1469 or whatever it was. Anyway. Um, But it says, that's the gospel in a nutshell. God loved us enough that he sent Jesus Christ to bring us back into relationship with the Father. And the only way to do that was to accept Jesus as a sacrifice for our sin, sin that separates us from him. So when we say, Lord, I believe, Jesus, I believe you died for me, I accept your payment for my sin and separation from the Father, we are now back in relationship with him. That's the gospel. And it's more than just getting our ticket stamped that says, heaven bound. And then we go find the longest line and we stand and we wait for the train to come. It's more than just salvation for heaven. It's for salvation here. Saving us from ourselves bringing us to a place of total dependence on him. We sang the song, Jesus be the what? Center. Gospel-centered. See, if Jesus isn't the center of everything, we mess up. And sometimes what happens to us as Christians who've been walking this way for a time, we sometimes boil down that relationship to rules and regulations. It ain't so. It isn't so. For you grammarians in the building, I got that right. It's about relationship. It is always about relationship. So when I understand that gospel-centered leadership first begins with a relationship with Jesus then I will become the leader and the influencer 
that God created me to be. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says these words, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, for those of you who have heard the word yoke, but it's, it's not the little yellow thing inside an egg. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, so the yoke is on me at that point? I... Wow. Come stand up by me. No, I just stay. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're, oh, yokes, okay. Um, we're talking about a yoke that farmers use. Back in the day, they would put it on the horses or the donkeys or the oxen, and that yoke would be attached to the plow, which would then plow the ground. And they were on, so Jesus is using that illustration because most of the time they were yoked together. There was two tandem. Jesus is saying, when you come walk with me, my yoke is easy. My, my burden is light. Because life, instead of you trying to live it in, in your way, now you live it my way and you don't have to worry because I'll take care of it all. Jesus said in Matthew chapter, chapter 5, or chapter 7, 6, I'll get there, Matthew 6, 33. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added unto you, and what, he, and what these things represent is all of the cares and the necessities of life. And when we understand as God-inspired, Holy Spirit-inspired leaders that we don't have to manipulate We don't have to make it happen. We just depend on the influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and become a conduit for his wisdom and understanding and knowledge out to the people that we influence, whether as leaders or just somebody who is working. So as a person of influence, which we all are, Jesus said in John chapter 14, talking to his disciples, he said, But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to you in my name, he shall teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all the things which I have said to you. So Jesus, when he went back to heaven, wasn't going back and leaving us empty He sent the Holy Spirit to walk with us, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father who resides in us and around us. As a positional leader, as someone who has been given a title, you have this title, you are now responsible for this product, you are now responsible for these people. As a positional leader, we need to understand what it means to be a leader. To be a good leader, to be a a great leader, is to understand that you are not in that position to bend everyone else to your will. You are in that position to release people to their full potential. So, in the, in the workplace, there is a, a, a diagram, and I've just reduced it to words, but it's about releasing leadership. 
What did we title that again? I guess forget. Can you put it up there? Watch me do it. There it is. Launching leaders. I forgot to put launching in my notes. So Jeremy added it later, and he didn't tell me that he was going to do this. So blame it on him. That's what a good leader does. A good leader always blames somebody else <laughs> for what they've done wrong, right? Okay. It's LT's fault. He's responsible. Anyway, so a good leader looks for men and women of potential. They say, I want you to walk with me, so I want you to watch me do it. Now, you do it with me. Now, you do it, and I'll watch. And then, you do it, because I got other work to do. That's not just a corporate principle of leadership. That's a biblical principle of leadership. What did Jesus do? He did the real heavy lifting one particular night after he got to know a bunch of people that were following him. And it says he spent the whole night in prayer, and the next day he called 12 disciples to himself. That night he's going down the whole list of potentials. Just like every good leader said, who do I need on my team? And so he chose the 12 disciples. I would try and recite them all for you, but I can't do it. So probably need Robbie to come in and recite them for me because he probably knows them, but I won't disturb him right now. I don't want to make him look like I don't know what I'm talking about. So, but he chose those 12. He said, you come follow me. So as they're walking along in those dusty roads, Jesus is talking to them. He's training them. He's mentoring them. He's coaching them. And then he stops and he heals the leper. And he teaches some more. And then, and then he stops and he heals the blind man. And he, and he teaches a little bit more. And then, and then he stops in the synagogue and he opens up the scriptures and he tells the people in the synagogue, I'm here to set you free. And then at some point in that relationship, those three years, he says to the disciples, okay, boys, it's your turn. I'm sending you out two by two. Go do what I've been showing you. And they come back and say, yeah, yeah, we did it. And then he gets ready to leave permanently. And he says, now listen, you're not going to be alone. I'm just going to send the other, another comforter to you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit so you can continue doing what I told you to do and you can continue to enhance your skills to be my disciples and to be my apostles. So as a secure leader, we look for those to take responsibility and do it better than we can do it. There's a lot of leaders in the church and outside the church who look for inferiors to fill slots. Why? Because the leader is is insecure. They don't want anybody to do it better. But the fact is, all of us who are called to leadership still have blind spots. 
We still have skills that we cannot appropriate because we will never be good at it. But when we understand our weakness, not of character, but of skill, we find the people who can fill it. And then we will look really smart. And that's the whole point, to be looking smart, right? We look for potential, and we release that potential by understanding the skills needed to enhance the gifts. So if I know that I need to hire somebody to work with me in my job, I can look for two, people, two different kinds of people. And in my Monday through Friday job of painting and remodeling, I've had as many as 10 people working for me at the same time. But I look for two people, two kinds of people. I either look for somebody I can train or I look for somebody who already knows how to do it better than I do. That's the only two kinds I look for. And I've had both kinds working for me. But that's what a leader does. That's what a leader does. Here's an example. If you're responsible, you have a particular responsibility in your portfolio of responsibilities, and it takes you an hour a week to accomplish that particular task. How many hours is that in a year? Thank you, Matthew. It's 52. But if it takes you six hours to train somebody... Over six weeks, that's 12 hours. It's an extra hour out of your day. But if you're willing to take six weeks and now 12 hours, how many hours did you just save? 40. 40. And now you cannot get on to doing something that's more important. The Lord kind of brought that home to me when we were pastoring in Wasika, Minnesota. Um, we had, I did not have a secretary for a while, so I was spending a lot of time on the bulletin. I'm, I'm a little artistic, A-R-T-I-S-T-I-C, a little artistic. And I would spend hours and hours, that was cut and paste stuff. We didn't have computers to, you know, back in the 20s, 30s. <laughs> and then one day it hit me. I am wasting time on something that isn't my responsibility. It's the same thing that happened to the apostles in Acts chapter 6. They came and said to him, them, the widows are being neglected. And the apostles said, look, our job is to be about prayer, study the word. Find seven men full of the Holy Spirit who can lead this ministry. And they picked seven guys. Why? So they could, apostles could keep doing what they're supposed to do. That's what good leaders do. They recognize what they're supposed to do, and they stay doing it, and they give everything else away. But sometimes we hold on to those things because it makes us feel good. But it's not about just feeling good. It's not thinking, well, nobody can do it as good as I can. That's not the point. The point is we release people 
to their full potential. So leadership, positional leadership, and just us as regular people, we all have influence. Biblical leadership, biblical leadership has always been about relationships, not position. See, better theology isn't the issue. Better relationships are the issue. See, it's about others first. It's about drawing the best out of others. It's understanding how they need to be led. We give them support and the resources needed to be successful. We challenge them. We correct and discipline as necessary. We we ask what they need to be successful. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. Now, in context, Paul had just recited to the Romans, if you preach, preach, if you teach, teach, if you give, give, if you have mercy, be merciful, if you are one who parks the car and directs traffic, do it, if you move chairs, do it, if you sweep The foyer, do it. If you clean toilets, do it to the best of your ability. Because by taking your gift, being confident in your gift, you help release others to their gift. In honor, preferring one another. See, our identities of leaders... Our identity as a leader is not found in the title, position, or the number of followers we may have, but in our obedience to God. If God designs us and purposes for us to be an influence for one or 1,000, it doesn't make any difference. To both, he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's only in our humanity that we compare oh, I'm the CEO of a company that's only got 100, and he's the CEO of a company that's got 1,000. He's got a bigger truck than I do. I, I won't say anything about Jeremy's, but my truck is bigger than his truck. Now, the reason I said this, he did something to me in the first service that he did not repeat in this service, but I told him that I would get him back. So, And I know Scott uh, doesn't think he has much of a truck anyway, but I won't go there either. So where was I? <laughs> influence. That's what it is, influence. See, I'm, I'm influencing you to love my son even more and care for him. Anyway. I'm in trouble, not because, just because my wife is here. My mother's here, too. I, I forgot that part. I'm coming to see you real soon, Dad. 
Influence. See, influence is serving. Serving is influence. C2 not only stands for Christian chapel, it stands for what? The Great Commission and the Great Commandment. The Great Commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's about love. And the Great Commission is what? Go or tell people. It says go make disciples. Make disciples. Disciples is not just saying, you need Jesus, get on your knees. Now you're going to heaven. I don't know why I did that. but it's <laughs> That's for the hard-headed people who don't want to give it. And you leave it. No. Discipleship is LT. You need Jesus. You got to walk with me. Talk with me. Let's live life together. Okay, we've been doing that long enough. Now you go find somebody and you go take care of them. That's discipleship. Paul said it to Timothy. He said, Tim, he said, teach men to teach men to teach men. So we know our discipleship process is successful when we're looking at the fourth generation of disciples. That's leadership. That's discipleship. That's influence. And that's what he's called you in this community to do. With as many different outreaches and as many different ways you can think, we reach out and we touch lives, whether it's Sunday school or, I mean, if it's, it's, it's neighborhood picnics out in the neighborhoods or whether it's Convoy of Hope, whatever the ministry is, it's not to be able to come back into this building and go, we were involved in ministry today. Well, how many lives were changed? Well, I, I don't really care about that, but we did ministry today. No. No. That's not discipleship. I'm sorry. I, I started preaching there for a minute. Um, so the heavy lifting, the, the, the willingness to get in and work, Sometimes when we observe what has been happening behind the scenes, the heavy lifting, we think it looks easy. But did you know that every Thursday night, LT and the worship band are here practicing? And then they're here early every Sunday morning to practice? And I dare say that throughout the week, every one of these men and women who sing or play an instrument are practicing at home. How many of you have ever taken music lessons? How many of you stopped practicing? How many of you are no good at that instrument anymore? (laughs) I rest my case. I rest my case. When we learn a skill set, we can't say, I've learned it. We have to use it or lose it. When, when Barb and I uh, were in ministry in California, one of the men on church was a violinist. He was in charge of the music ministry, but he also played for the San Francisco Philharmonic, literally, the orchestra, symphony. Anyway, and so we were, we were on a, um, we had an all-church retreat 
And so all of the staff were there and we're, we're setting things up. And I'm walking by one of the dormitories and I hear the violin. I heard it for three hours. I'm thinking, why in the world does John need to practice? He keeps practicing because he wants to stay as good as he is. I play the guitar. But I haven't played the guitar in about a year. So if I were to pick up the guitar now, I could still, I know where the chords are. But I guarantee you, at about, after about 10 minutes, my fingers would be dead and I would not be able to press the, the, the strings down. It's still a skill. It's just not a skill I'm using. And if I want to use that skill, I have to keep practicing. When Jesus calls us and gifts us and skills us, don't stop practicing. Because when you practice your skill, you are getting ready to release somebody else into their skill because you are encouraging to them as well. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, I say unto you, the Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Did, Did you hear that? Jesus, Son of God, Jesus, God incarnate, says to us, as a human and as God, I can't do anything on this earth unless I see my Father do it first. The Father was mentoring him and coaching him and releasing him to his full potential as God and human. And as leaders, as influencers, even if the only influence we have is friendship. Sometimes, sometimes what it takes is, I've been watching you, Matt, and you're really good at that. I think you should keep doing that. And he goes, really? Okay. Why? Now, why is he going to pay attention to me? Because I've built a relationship with him. I've watched him. But we do that to everybody. We can do that to every person in the circle of our relationships. Even to the point of saying, Matt, please don't try that again. (laughs) When we have relationship, we encourage and we lift up and we release. See, the anointing, and by that I mean that, that understanding that God is with me, the heavy work, the heavy work of, uh, of heavy lifting daily is that I spend enough time in his presence that when I go to work, as just somebody who works there or somebody who is employed there, somebody who leads there, I'm full of his spirit and I can pay attention. How often have you walked by somebody and they say hello or they smile at you and you smile back? You know, how many are influenced? How many have ever purchased something because a friend of yours said, you really need this? That shade of lipstick really looks good on you. I'll buy it. No, I was, I was, I was talking to LT. It looks really good on LT. So. 
You know, trying to be funny this morning really is a pain. <laughs> I'm just going to stay s- straight serious and not worry about it. My wife's nodding, yes, just you know, stop, okay. Okay, no more funny. When Jeremy first asked me to speak this morning, and actually he prefaced his asking by this question, what is the greatest leadership principle or value. I said love. Now, the world love in the world means a totally separate thing than it does in the word. Love out here, dare I say it, is more about lust and how I feel and uh, satisfying myself. That's not biblical love. Biblical love says, what's best for you? How can I help you become everything God wants you to be? How can I help the people around me at work? How can I best influence them? Biblical principles don't stay inside these four walls, friends. Biblical principles are the only thing that will rescue us from the hell of a world that we live in. Loving one another is choosing to do the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. The heavy lifting is about being patient as you teach skills. As I was thinking through this today and I was thinking back to to my own kids, um, especially Jeremy and Brett, who I coached in soccer and coached in baseball, they got really good because they had a good coach. But they weren't good when we started. I almost made a really bad faux pas right there. I said they started like throwing like girls, but that is not true at all. Because I watched some of the college softball tournament series. Oh, my goodness, are those girls good. But it's a skill they learned. And I had to be patient with them. Friends, sometimes when we're encouraging one another to grow up in Jesus and grow up in skills, we just got to be patient with each other. And the grace of God then just moves in our lives. Every decision that we make out of love has great consequence, good consequence, whether we see it in the moment or we see it down the road, but it's always a positive consequence. We lift others up. We elevate others. We help them reach their full potential. Let me conclude with a, a couple of illustrations. I would like all the shy people in the room to stand. 
Yeah, I knew that wasn't going to work. Okay, let me, let me, how many shy people are in the room? One, two, three, four, okay, okay five, six, okay. Okay, vote for somebody else. Point them out right now. So, okay, all right. Did you know by psychological standards, shy people introduce, or excuse me, shy people influence 10 thousand people in their lifetime. Shy people influence 10,000 people in their lifetime. Now just think how many people you big mouths influence. See, you don't have to be a CEO. You don't have to be some big shot in a corporation. Just being you under the influence of the Holy Spirit and you can influence 10,000 people for Jesus in your lifetime by just a smile, by just a have a good day. I'll call this man John. He was top salesman in his corporation, five years running. So the president called him in and said, John, you did it again. I, I don't understand how you do it. You so out, outsell everybody else. It is just incredible how you do this. He said, at our, at our big annual meeting where everybody's going to be there, I'm going to award you top salesman of the year again. And John said, I don't, I don't really want it. I, I don't really need it. He said, well, you be there. I'm going to give it to you. So the meeting rolled around a couple months later. And, uh, and John's sitting out there in the audience. And the president gets up and he's making all the speeches about everything else and give everybody other accolades. And he says, and I want to award Best Salesman of the Year Award one more time to John. And John stands up and he walks out the back door. Well, the president finally got a clue. So after things had sort of settled down in the next couple of weeks, couple of months, he started asking around to the people that he thought knew John the best. He said, what, what happened to John? What happened? The guy said, you know, John really doesn't care about, you know, awards and stuff. It, it's just not in his nature. It's not in his character. He said, oh, Okay. And he kept asking around, and finally he asked one person, and they said, Oh, he said, Do you, have you ever met John's daughter? Has he ever told you about his daughter? He said, No, never has. Well, she has, big word, disease. And her hospital bills are horrendous. But he loves that little girl so much that that's why he works so hard. He works that hard for her pay off the hospital bills and all the, all, the, all the medicines and the drugs she has to take. That little girl is his heart and soul. That's what motivates him. So the president thought it through. He created a new award. This time it had some different words on the plaque and his daughter's picture. And at a smaller gathering, 
He called John up and said, John, I know it motivates you now. I just want to say thanks. And John broke down in tears. See, as a leader, when we understand what motivates people, it's not about manipulation. It's about understanding. See, God understands us. And we are full of his spirit. Whether we're shy or whether we're a big mouth, it still needs to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a leader, as a leader, we influence for Jesus. Not just in the four walls of a building we call the church. Whether we're mopping floors, whether we're fixing cars, whether we're administrating the work for the day. If Jesus is part of that transaction, we are influencing people for Jesus. Be a leader. With title or without, be a leader. But stand. Would you close your eyes with me? Let's pray for a moment. Father, you're a good God. And as we began our sharing today, we talked about the gospel, the truth of the gospel, that you came to save us, to set us free from ourselves and from sin that holds us down, keeps us slaves. So, Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who needs to make that decision, or maybe they just haven't been living where they should be, and this morning your spirit has gently convicted them and said you need to come back home. I pray for them right now, Lord, that they would feel the peace and the comfort and the love of your Holy Spirit. If, if you're that person this morning, you need to make that commitment or make a new commitment, would you just slip your hand up real quick? Put it right back down. Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Thank you. Now, Lord, for those who have been too timid in their leadership, I ask that you would raise them up that there would be somebody that comes into their lives to encourage them. You would help us to advance our skills for you and for those around us. That for the lives in Columbia and at C2, we would become a powerful church, not a name, just in name, but in deeds as well, that by our good works we would honor our Father who is in heaven. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, I want to ask you to do three things. First, subscribe and share our podcast with others. Second, if God is up to something in your life, we'd love to hear from you at mystoryatc2church.com. And finally, if you benefited from this ministry, help us reach others by investing today at c2church.com slash give.